the, the reason why it's necessary to trust the Bible is because it really talks about some of the most important things. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is not something that you can do uh, with a streaming service, with a delivery service, with a rideshare service. It is something that you actually have to grow yourself and understand what you believe and why you believe it. However, you can have people come around you to challenge you, encourage you, and you know, entertain you a little bit occasionally. <laughs> and we want to be those people for you. My name is Jesse Mayer. I am the host of this podcast, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the original Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. It's so good to be with you today. And we're going to dig into some more things surrounding the Bible. I'm very excited about that. Yes, we had um, this amazing series that we just really, I think people are really enjoying mostly just because it's like, Okay, we have this thing we're supposed to be following. Yep. Why? Why do we follow it? Right? <laughs> Why do we listen to Why it? Why do we listen to it? And so I think this series has been really impactful. And then on Tuesday, yeah. um, we talked with Pastor Har for a little while, and he just really introduced this concept of how can you trust the Bible? Yes. So where should we trust the Bible and why do so many people not want to trust it? <laughs> uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. And I'm interested in how we're going to look at that application today, Pastor. Yeah, well, we are looking at basically the notion that the Bible is influential uh, because it's influential. It's controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, it's accurate. You know, Zach went over that, did a good job. Harv said, because of that, it's now trustworthy. And I'd like to kind of further tack on to what he was talking about and say, the, the reason why it's necessary to trust the Bible is because it really talks about some of the most important things. You know, there's no recipes in the Bible, <laughs> you know, right. there's no how to make a good beef stroganoff. There is correct. There's no what to do with zucchini. There's none of that. There's no fashion, you know, statements in the Bible. Like these colors go well together and you shouldn't wear white after Labor Day or something like that. Correct. <laughs> There's none of that stuff. It doesn't tell you how to write a really good ballad, a love song or, you know, an, uh, a symphony. It doesn't tell you any of that stuff. It doesn't tell you how to set up a business directly and say, oh, here's how you market. Here's how you do this. It, it doesn't have that in it. But what it does do is it talks about the most important things of life that make life life. And that's why I think it's important to trust the Bible, because it talks about the human struggle. Why, why is it that we as human beings struggle so much? And it ultimately says, because it's a struggle between us and connecting to God. That's really what the reason why we struggle and we seek and we search and we feel dissatisfied and yet we keep going and how we can be incredibly altruistic and wonderful, sacrificial, idealistic, altruistic human beings. And then we get in traffic and we can be, you know, road raging, horrible Absolutely. people, you know, so how that it's about this struggle about who we are and our need for God to connect to God. And then this struggle comes out in basic ways. Okay. It comes out in our identity. How do we know who we really are? What is our sense of who we are? We're trying to answer the question, who am I? 
It comes out in love. It comes out in sex and sexuality. That's a huge part of the human struggle. And where does that fit? Particularly among young people today, you know, they've been bombarded and taught and trained to think in ways that all sexual expression is equal and healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So, so it's incongruent why some sexual expressions and sexual paths that people take end up with bad consequences. That doesn't make sense if they're all equal in the same. Right. Okay. And, and they struggle with that. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a struggle with how do we give our lives meaning? Like what, why is it important to work and, and add value, not only to my life, but to the lives, uh, around us? How do we be productive? Is productivity a part of my human struggle or not? How does money work? How should I view money? These are really big questions about life. Very practical questions about your life, but they all flow out of what the Bible talks about. And that is our struggle is ultimately our attempt to connect with God. So I want to talk about these, these struggles that we we've, um, that you've listed out here, but before we do that, I found this video, uh, a Ted talk that I want to show you. So let's listen into that. This is one of the simplest yet most transformative things you can do for work, for love, for your happiness, maybe even for the world. We know that 80% of life's most defining moments take place by age 35. We know that the first 10 years of a career has an exponential impact on how much money you're going to earn. We know that more than half of Americans are married or are living with or dating their future partner by 30. We know that the brain caps off its second and last growth spurt in your 20s as it rewires itself for adulthood, which means that whatever it is you want to change about yourself, now is the time to change it. As a culture, we have trivialized what is actually the defining decade of adulthood. So what do you think happens when you pat a 20-something on the head and you say you have 10 extra years to start your life? You have robbed that person of his urgency and ambition, and absolutely nothing happens. The post-millennial midlife crisis isn't buying a red sports car. It's realizing you can't have that career you now want. It's realizing you can't have that child you now want. Too many 30-somethings and 40-somethings look at themselves and at me sitting across the room and say about their 20s, what was I doing? What was I thinking? I want to change what 20-somethings are doing and thinking. Here's a story about how that can go. It's a story about a woman named Emma. At 25, Emma came to my office because she was, in her words, having an identity crisis. First, I told Emma to forget about having an identity crisis and get some identity capital. By get identity capital, I mean do something that adds value to who you are. Do something that's an investment in who you might want to be next. Second, I told Emma that the urban tribe is overrated. Best friends are great for giving rides to the airport, but 20-somethings who huddle together with like-minded peers limit who they know, what they know, how they think, how they speak, and where they work. New things come from what are called our weak ties, our friends of friends of friends. Last but not least, Emma believed that you can't pick your family, but as a 20-something soon, Emma would pick her family, 
when she partnered with someone and created a family of her own. I told Emma, the time to start picking your family is now. Now, you may be thinking that 30 is actually a better time to settle down than 20 or even 25. And I agree with you. The best time to work on your marriage is before you have one. And that means being as intentional with love as you are with work. Picking your family is about consciously choosing who and what you want, rather than just making it work or killing time with whoever happens to be choosing you. So here's an idea worth spreading to every 20-something you know. 30 is not the new 20, so claim your adulthood, get some identity capital, use your weak ties, pick your family. Don't be defined by what you didn't know or didn't do. You're deciding your life right now. So you see, that's a pretty powerful video there you came up with, I Mr. Did. Jesse. What are your thoughts about it, <laughs> Pastor? Well, you know... I just know that I wish I would have seen that when I was in my 20s still. I feel like <laughs> I missed out on key information until I was 35 and now, you know, 33. Well, first and foremost, the thing that I love about why we trust the Bible is because the Bible specifically teaches that when we come to Christ, he makes all things new, that we serve a God of redemption. And so whatever mistake or whatever thing we missed in our past, it can be made new again through the resurrecting power of the blood of Christ. I get, so you're saying there's hope for me even in my 30s. I there's appreciate hope for that, all Pastor. of us at any time. And But what I think you... what's really interesting in there is that her point is, is that she really kind of that gal came into her office and said the identity capital gal yeah but what she said is i'm having an identity crisis and this is what i see happening dramatically on uh with 20 somethings is that because they've been trained to think deconstructively all they can tell you is what they don't like but when you try to ask them who they are they can't answer you know mm. like um I think a perfect example of this is in uh, the transgender debate. All young people say, hey, if my friend wants to change their gender and transition, you know, into a woman, that's that's fine with me. I think that's awesome. And then you ask the question, well, what is a woman? They can't answer that question. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, whoever identifies as a woman. Okay, that's circular. Def you can't use the term woman yeah, in your definition. Circular reasoning. <laughs> it's circular reasoning. And what, and what that does is that points to a deeper thing, and that is, is that what, what young people are, are missing out is identity. Who am I really? Okay? And so I think this is really critical, is the, the notion of identity capital was a really great turn of a phrase because what the Bible says over and over again it's not so much how you feel about yourself. You need to live and act in a way, uh, your identity of what God says you are. Um, I was listening to this guy who talks to people about how to become a successful person, right? And, they, and he's just simply talking about how to make money or, you know, out there in the world. What, what, what's really what interesting. the world would consider successful. Yeah, which you is, know, in the, but this is what he said. I thought this was really fascinating. He says, uh, people who are successful, they act before they're comfortable. And they act not based on who they are, but who they want to be. Okay. And I just thought, 
wow, he's taken this biblical concept <laughs> that's talked about over and over and over again, and he's just distilled it down to apply it to how to be successful in your business life. Okay. But w the derivation of it is hundred percent, but this is why we should trust the Bible because what the Bible does is it resolves the identity issues at their core. So, because she says, go out and get some identity capital, right? right? I thought that was awesome. But the problem is, is she says, go out and do something good for somebody else. Okay. Well, what's good in a world that, definitions are very loose and or don't matter that's a very uh hard question to ask yes unless you read the bible, bible. <laughs> see that that's the problem is what if you dedicate yourself to something that you think is really good and then it turns out to be really bad well i mean we see this in almost anything these days right we have these people that help develop Facebook or these various social media platforms. Yep. And in theory, they were doing this great thing that connects yeah. people all across the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And over time people are going, well, maybe social media is not so good for you, <laughs> especially in the yeah. amount of. Yeah. And for teenagers, it's yeah, horrific. It's horrific. And yeah. so it's teenage like teenage girls. It's devastating. There's people that I'm sure helped build the original Facebook that now look at it now and been like, I made a mistake. Dang. Yeah, <laughs> but they made so many billions of dollars. They, it's like, I want the money, but right. Yeah. But I mean, if you have a teenage daughter who's between the ages of 12 and 15, the most healthy emotional thing you could ever do for them is to not let them have access to social media. They won't agree with you, but no. it is definitely probably the best. That's option. why we need parents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't want to do that. When I went to Honduras, uh, it was really sad because all of these kids, you know, they're probably eight, nine, 10, 11 when you know they start their teeth would transition out mm -hmm. and then they would get their adult teeth and stuff like that but all of their baby teeth had rotted out and the reason why is because they go get these little ziploc bags filled with sugar water mm -hmm. it's like co uh, it's like a kool-aid with extra sugar in it and then they suck their parents would let them suck on it they would clip the little corner and then just suck on it. Right. That sugar just rotted their teeth. They never brushed their teeth or anything. Mm. And of course that then ruined their health for their entire life because it, it stopped a lot of their adult teeth from coming in. They couldn't chew their food up. They wouldn't there. They couldn't get the nourishment from food that needs to be properly chewed. And so the point being is that sometimes we do things that we think are sweet, but they turn out to destroy everything about us, you know, smoking, I think is kind of done that so, people smoked. Yeah, they used to say smoking is good for you, you know, and women love to smoke because it curbed their appetite and they were thin. Right. You know, but then it turns out that when you smoke your whole life, that's not a good, not choice, a good thing, you know? So why, why does that? Well, cause why are those important facts? Well, because it points to this notion of where do I find my identity? Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have a lot of options when you really strip it all away. You have one option is, well, the atheists are right. Scientific materialists are right. There's nothing beyond this material world. So I, I find meaning in this world, but how that seems really meaningless. It's like, it's like, okay, you put you in your bedroom and say, okay, you can't leave your bedroom because this is your existence. Now find meaning in your bedroom. Right. <laughs> You're like, but I know that there's something out there. Right. I know that. And it's exactly the same way. This is C.S. Lewis's argument from desire. He says, we can only desire things that we know in our soul that are real. So we desire food. We desire sleep. We desire intimacy. We desire purpose. We desire, you know, these things. We desire God. 
And so he says, you don't desire something that isn't a reality. Right. And yet we desire God. Billions and billions of people desire God. So our identity, it, capital, comes from just reading the Bible where it says that God has created you in his image. He loves you, but you have a problem that needs to be resolved. Gives you very clear terms of who and what you are. Yeah, and then right? when, you come, when you're cleansed by him, you're rescued, you're saved by him, then this new identity can really becomes, it call, it's called the wellspring of life right? It goes up in it. I like, I like the thing is that so many young people don't find this because she said the second thing, the urban tribe is overrated. And that is that young people, so many of them grew up in broken homes that were awkward or they had a stepfather or maybe a single parent. So their, their sense of family is not a good sense. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, it was awkward or uncomfortable, something they had to survive. Right. And then they find their friends you know, in their twenties and their friend group is cause they're, and what, what I find really interesting is the urban tribe is they are extremely homogenous, meaning the people in them look the same, dress the same, listen to the same music. Right. They, they have the exact same views on everything from what's the best food, the best music, the best beer, the best wine, the best sports, the best uh, everything, XYZ. politics, yep. across the board. They all agree on one thing. What she's saying is that that's not good for you. That's not good for you. And what's really interesting is this has really crept into the church, is, is that a lot of people who consider themselves Christians have uh, said, well, I want to go to a church, and what you'll do is you'll go to a church, and it's like, I see nothing but, you know, older people here. I don't want to go there. I see nothing but married couples. I see nothing but singles, you know. I see nothing but young people here. And that's not good because that's the urban tribe sensibility in the church. And the church was designed to be the exact opposite. It says there, there should be older men, and, and Paul talks about this in his instruction to Timothy. He says, what, what is that the older men should you know, uh, guide and mentor the younger men and younger men should respect the older men. And you should, the younger widows should take care of the, uh, or younger women should take care of older widows. I mean, there's all this instruction about it, right? You want that diversity because it gives you different points of view yeah. and different. Exactly inputs. what she was saying. Yeah. You need to, what did she call those? The weak ties, the weak ties. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, like you go in and you go, well, these are my people, I'm going to hang out with them. But it's that weak tie with maybe that older couple or that, you know, couples that do the best in their marriages are when they have an older mentor couple that will mentor them. Mm -hmm. You know, they go, well, we, we need to work through this issue. What did you guys do? Oh, we did this. And that really is helpful, which is the whole point she finishes off. She says, right now is the best time to pick your family. What, what does the Bible say over and over again? You should trust it and how to pick a mate who you should look for, what should you do while you're dating, Right. you know, which that always has a lot to do with, you know, probably sex, mm -hmm. you know, that's part of it. We have to trust the Bible in that realm. Yeah. Well, let's move on to that. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about that because we are down to, uh, 10 minutes left, but what does, <laughs> what does the Bible say when it comes to sexuality? You're on a time limit pastor to try to move through this question. I'm challenging oh, you. Oh my goodness. What's that Timberlake, uh, Justin Timberlake song a long time ago. Let's talk about, let's talk about sex, sex baby. baby. <laughs> yes. People are like, how does he know these references? I don't he, know. You had children. I had children. That's true. <laughs> 
Well, I think the issue when you strip it all away is uh, in your 20s, you know, I like what she said. You need to be intentional with love as much as you're intentional about work and your career. Mm -hmm. And so people will intentionally invest in themselves so that they can be add value to so that when they want to get a job, they have skills and tools and all those things. It's astonishing to me how many young people don't consider that when it comes to love and, and finding someone to fall in love with. Uh, if you grew up in a, a blended family or a broken home and it was really awkward or wasn't really good, then that should tell you that, okay, I, if I want to have a great family or a marriage or fall in love, instead of just wasting my time, she said, with somebody who chose me or somebody who liked me, I need to be intentional. I should be investing in my skill set mm -hmm. right now. I need to learn how to communicate. I need to learn how to resolve conflict. I need to learn how to manage my emotions when they go off the deep end. Right. I need to recognize when I'm stressed out and how I treat people when I'm stressed out. I, I need to grow myself up because you only attract what you are, not what mm -hmm. you want. And so if you're a narcissistic, self-centered, bratty individual, guess what? That's who you're going to attract. Okay. And you, you're going to meet somebody like that who's as codependent and toxic as you are, and you're going to meet them, and it's going to be fire. Wow, fireworks. It's so exciting, you know. And then in three months, it's just going to be a train wreck. It's going to be a dumpster fire floating down flooded street, you know. Now, now, Pastor, we don't need to talk about my past life. We need to... <laughs> it feels aggressive. I'm but I mean, but I mean, it is. I mean, I, I say that as a joke, but it's not entirely wrong. Like, I grew up in this same mindset. I grew up yeah. in a broken family i went through my 20s thinking i wanted love and not really pursuing a way to be mm -hmm. healthily in love and yep. so i dated a lot of people that were i like to use the word hurricanes where it's like sometimes <laughs> you're in the center of the storm and it's nice but most of the time you're just holding on to the wicked Dear life. The West, <laughs> holding and hoping that it's going to land soon and you're not under the house yeah and so it's like i think now in my 30s, I'm finally at a point where I've put time in to go, I know who I am. This is what I want in a family, in a relationship. Yeah. And I'm healthily dating better than I was in my 20s when I thought I really wanted to be in love. But really all I wanted was to deal with a lot of hormones and all of that stuff. So I, yeah. think, I think there is so many people that have walked that same path and then you're playing catch up in your 30s. And that's not inherently bad. You know, God has a plan and he, he, he works through all of us in different ways and we have different timetables. But I think there's a lot of people yeah. out there that believe what the world say. And the world doesn't really want you to find real love. They want you to find lust. And that's yeah. what they're focused on. Well, and that's the issue of sexuality. You know, your sexuality is a huge part of your hardwired DNA. You know, and the Bible knows this and talks about it. You know, the, the Bible, you know, at the beginning was be fruitful and multiply. Right. What's he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's our it's sexuality. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's about our sexuality. Our sexuality is powerful, but it's, it's, it's a very strong drive. It's stronger than a food drive, right? Mm -hmm. A hunger drive. But if you don't establish good eating habits when you're a child and a teenager, right? What happens for you the rest of your life in regard to your weight? 
you will be obese and you struggle. Yeah. It's a constant issue in your life. But then, you know, and what's really fascinating about it is some families, they talk about how to establish good eating habits for your family is instead of saying, well, we don't eat that because it's unhealthy and we don't eat that because what they do is they say, those restrictions don't end up helping. What you do is you say, we're a healthy eating family. That's our goal. We want healthy eating, healthy eating. And so let's eat healthy things. And those kids grow up and what do they do? They eat healthy things things. and they don't have a problem with weight. They don't have a, they're healthy their whole life. And it's food is a non-issue for them. Right. Right. And so what's really fascinating is, is that take sex, your sexual drive, it's 10 times more powerful than your hunger or appetite Mm -hmm. drive. And we treat it though with such cavalier experiences. I mean, I see this with one of my best friends. I love him to death, but he's been so ingrained in this hookup culture idea for his entire twenties and now into his thirties that when I go to him and I'm like, dude, don't you want like a serious girlfriend? Like, do you not want to be married? He's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, but then when he's here in Boise visiting, all he's doing is trolling Tinder for a hookup. And I'm like, you're doing two different things as far as what you're really saying you want. So it's like either you don't see the difference yeah, (laughs) or you're not actually wanting yeah. what you and say. And I'm you want. I'm I'm reading this new book about it's about uh, understanding irrationality. Mm-hmm. This guy, he's a neuroscientist, and he writes, "Why do we do these irrational things?" And he goes, "You can actually understand it." Oh, you know, and what's going on in there, and and it's because what has happened is when everybody, when they were young, what happens is the society has come in and basically like a huckster, you know, a huckster shows up and you're hungry and says, here, eat donuts. Right. Right. And then here, eat more donuts. And then, so then you, you develop a sweet tooth. Right. And so now when you're hungry, you think, ah, donuts, instead of saying, no, no, what I need is, you know, a good meat and vegetable. And that's going to build muscle because I'm lifting and I'm doing this and that donuts don't, you know, they, they just give you this pop and then they create all these problems and insulin spikes and all these things. It's the exact same thing with your sexuality is our society, because since the sexual revolution has attempted to say that you can't trust the Bible because the Bible is just a religion. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to, I need to trust the Bible in how it says to find is because it's all about life and love. Right. It's about real love. It's about real love of God, real love of yourself and real love of ever, other human beings. You know, this is the whole point of first John, when he writes it, he goes, we, we love because God first loved us. Mm-hmm. And because he loved us, we love God. We respond to him in love. And then we love others around us, you know, and, but we love them in a healthy way, not a toxic codependent hookup culture kind of Way. way. And that's, what's really important about our is understanding is that you can trust the Bible because what the Bible is attempting to do is to connect you to God and connect you to the true person you're meant to be. And that means first and foremost, I have to be saved. I have to be cleansed from the taint of sin and how it affects my thinking and what I'm attracted to. And what mm-hmm. Paul says this, he goes, look, there, there's two of me. He goes, there's one that says, this is what I want, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe your friend, I want love. I want a family. I want kids. I want a healthy, joyous thing. Like they show in the movies. Sometimes I want all that, but even though I want that and I know the right thing to do to get that, I do the exact opposite. Right. And Paul says, 
deliver me from this wretched body of death. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's just, yeah. I mean, there's so many things. And then he talks about being so unhappy. And then it's like, it's also hilarious because he'll get girls that say, I'm want to do pursue this relationship with you. And he's like, he runs away. And I'm yeah. like, you're doing all of the wrong things yeah. for this thing that you say you want. So I think he's really struggling with his meaning in life. It's like he works. Exactly. He's very successful at his job, but he's still, I love the man to death. He's one of my best friends, but he's not a happy man as far as his meaning in life. I hope he so, doesn't listen to the salty pastor. No, I would, tell, <laughs> I would tell him this to his face. And he would probably argue with me about it for a very long time. No, but, but see, what you're pointing out is so critically important. This is the point is, is that what he's saying without knowing it, he's saying, I trust my appetites more than I trust God. Right. That's what he's actually doing. Everything he says, I'm trusting my appetite to bring me happiness, even though now it's proven to him over 34 years, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't right? work. So he, so he knows, and you know, the definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing over and, and over expecting, expecting a, di a different outcome. Yeah. It's never going to happen, but what did he do? But see what's happening is, I, so when it comes to sexuality, what is happening is we live in a world that tries to particularly among young men and young women is we want to excite that drive. We want to unfetter that drive. And what we do is then people try to build an identity around that drive. And that is what never ever works. Right. You can't find meaning in life through your yeah. sexual, your sexual identity. identity. You can't. Where can we find it as we wrap up? We don't have a lot of time left, unfortunately, today, but give me, give me. Well, the... I think it has a lot to do with you just have to basically see. This is what is so interesting, and that is, is that faith is the most rational thing that you can do. Bill Maher says it's irrational, but it's not. It's There's a lot of scientists opposite. that say it's irrational. Yeah, it, but, but it's, it's not. It's what it is, is faith is saying, I take all the data, all of it. Okay. Not just and, the stuff that supports my stuff. Right. I take all of it and then I have to make a choice. What or who do I trust? Who do I really trust? Am I going to do it or not? And in the end is say, you know, like to use your friend, what he can do is he could say, I'm going to trust my appetites and eventually the universe is going to align. It's just going to happen, which isn't, or I can trust God mm -hmm. and I can start walking a different path. But the reason we don't do that is because we choose. And what faith is, is a choice. A lot of people don't know that the Greek word for faith is pestus, which means to act. Okay. So it's a choice that you make. I'm choosing to go and trust this, okay, as opposed to trusting that. This is why science and faith work hand in hand. This is why faith birthed science because faith always said, we want more data, not less, mm -hmm. right? We want more facts, not less. And the more we know, then the clearer we can make a faith decision. And that's what it's all about is we find meaning in life. We find purpose in life when we choose and we have to choose who or what we're going to trust. And ultimately, the Bible says the only place to find meaning in life, to find out who your life, what your life is and what it's meant for, the value of life is to be at peace with God. And that's called choosing to put your trust in him or faith. 
Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for guiding us through some more practical examples of why we can trust the Bible and what the Bible wants for us in our life. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to continue this discussion on Sunday with Pastor Harv as he kind of continues this series, The Bible, here at Foothills. He'll be uh, preaching on that, uh, taking some of these ideas that you've brought forth and some of the stuff we talked about on Tuesday and combining that into the sermon. So make sure you guys tune in for that. And until next week, we'll see you then. Blessings.